place. invite your attention tonight to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 9. I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it into the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass as they burned in the furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of the mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou seest and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou seest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Verse 13 again, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. I want to look at the subject tonight on Jesus in the midst of his churches. You may be seated. Here we have a wonderful revelation. It is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ that he gave to his servants that they might know him and know about things to come. Jesus, in our text, is in the midst. He is the central part. He is in the middle. And as you go through the Scriptures, you find that our Lord Jesus Christ is found in the midst of three places. It's a good study in itself where the Bible teaches us in John 19, 18 that He's in the midst of sinners because that's what sinners need. He's in the midst. He's in the midst of the throne in Revelation 5, 6, which teaches us that He is worthy of all honor and all worship. He has equal worship with the Father. He has equal worship with the Holy Spirit because He is God Himself set upon the throne. And here as we break into the book of the Revelation, we find that He is in the midst of His churches. The Lord Jesus Christ has superiority in His churches. He has the place of preeminence in His churches. He is the hub, if you will, of His churches. He is the central thing 
He is in the center. And as he writes to these churches, and you can look on a map and see where these churches were located, and they don't make a circle, but if you look at them, they're spread out like this. Sort of like a circle. And right in the middle of them is Jesus Christ saying, I'm there. I'm walking in the midst of these churches. And our text reveals to us one of the current places of our Lord Jesus Christ in the place that He dwells. Now, we know that as God, He is everywhere. He is in heaven and on earth, and there is not a place where the Lord Jesus Christ's Spirit does not go that is there. I mean, after all, whenever men are cast into hell away from the presence of God, the presence of the judgment of God is there. So you cannot escape from the presence of God. Jesus as God is everywhere, as the believers, risen Savior and ascended Lord and advocate and mediator, He is bodily in heaven as opposed to being on earth. The Lord Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and He there pleads the believer's case. He, he, his blood is there for us, and He pleads for us as our risen Savior, Lord, advocate, and mediator. As the believer's anointed Messiah, He spiritually lives in every believer. It is the Spirit of Christ that dwells in me and the Spirit of Christ that dwells in every true, born-again child of the living God. But in our text, he's in a special place as the lawgiver and the judge and the mediator of his churches. And he is to them those things as the Savior of his churches, as the director, as the CEO of his churches, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the midst of His churches. He is there, the Bible teaches us, in the Scriptures, like in Matthew 18, 20, I am in the midst of them. He's, he dwells with them, and He dwells in them, and He dwells in the midst of them. The Lord Jesus Christ resides in every true New Testament church. And not only that, but He is, as the text teaches us, a very vivid picture of a revelation of Jesus Christ Himself He tells us so that we might know where He is. Don't overlook this in this text. He teaches us that He is here in a special way. He's here in these churches differently than He's inside me personally. He's here with these churches differently than He's sitting in heaven on His throne as the mediator. He's here differently. The Bible teaches us that He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high... But in these texts, you, this text, you find him walking in the midst of his churches. And so it is, we look at him this way tonight, Jesus in the midst of his churches. The first thing we want to notice that Jesus is in the midst of his churches to speak to them. You'll notice that one of the purposes, if you will, of the book of the Revelation is to reaffirm to his churches who is speaking to them, who they are to listen to, and what, that, what he would have them know about himself, about his redemption, about his, you know, his political force in the world, that is himself, his kingdom, how that kingdom's coming to this earth, what he's going to do with the powers that be in this earth. And all of that, if you will, is directed primarily to his churches. This is not a general epistle written to anybody who ever lives anywhere at any time. It is written to seven local, visible churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like much of the New Testament is written to churches. This book is written to these churches. As a matter of fact, in verse 11 it says, He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, and he's getting ready to see something. John hadn't seen it yet. But he's getting ready to see a lot. And the first thing that he's going to see is Christ in the midst of his churches. He says here in the text, What thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he lists the names of those churches. So one of the purposes of the book of Revelation, I believe, beloved, is the grand purpose of the book of Revelation, is that the churches might see their Christ in his present activity among them. You know, there are different books that teach us. You take the book of Hebrews. It teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ's present mediatorial work for the believer. But that is not the emphasis of the book of Revelation. 
the emphasis of the book of Revelation is what Jesus Christ is to his churches to comfort them. Listen, beloved, these churches, they live in a bad world that's going to get worse and that's going to get worse. And he's telling them, listen, I've got it all under control. You don't listen to those outside. You don't listen to, and don't listen to those inside. You listen to me. That's going to be his focus as we start out in this book. And so we find that it was not John that was speaking to them. John was just the penman that was speaking to them. John was, he was the secretary, if you will. And the Lord, he says it right here in the text. In verse 11 he says, Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And then do something when you write in that book. Send it to those seven churches. And so John, John learned... And we must learn the truth of divine inspiration. Divine inspiration in this text teaches us that the words that are spoken are given are the words of our Lord. They're not the words of man. They're not the words of John. They're the words of the Lord. And he writes, John's the penman, but they are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we said throughout this meeting, Inspiration means just that. It's inspirited. Now, I, I think it's very interesting to see this in the, ta- in the text because our Lord, as he, as he writes, He says unto the angel, when you get to chapter 2 and verse 1, He says, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write. It's interesting that the book is singular, but it's sent to seven different churches. You know, the book's one. <laughs> The book is a unit, and it, it's, but it's sent to all these churches, and so they're all to get from it. But notice what he says about what is being said. You write this, and then he says in verse 7, and he says this repeatedly throughout each one of these uh, letters to these churches that are written in one book. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So that teaches me from the book that the book is inspirited. That is, it inspired, it is God-breathed, that it comes from God. What Jesus says, what is written, is from God Himself. There is, a, you have, as we have said so many times, a living letter, a living book. It is living, it is breathing, it is the breath of God, it is eternal, it is real, it is vital. And it was vital to them then, it is vital to us now. And so, this is the true doctrine, as I understand it, of divine inspiration, as the text teaches us. We also notice that it was not their angel or their pastor, I believe that's the idea of the text, that was speaking to them. Uh, It was Christ who was speaking to them. Now, you'll notice that each one of these letters are sent to the churches, uh, but they're directed to someone in that church. The text says, to the angels of these churches. And he says, to the angel of this one, to the angel of that one, to the angel of this one, write these things because they're responsible. They are responsible to those that they preach to. Now, they're responsible not to preach their own words, <laughs> but they're responsible to preach the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has to say is what we have to say. And when he is silent, we must be silent. But when he speaks, we must speak. And so he is sent to the churches, but addressed to an angel of those churches, or a messenger, because that's what this word means. It means a messenger. It's just a transliteration in our text. But anyway, be that as it will. And it is the Spirit that is continually speaking to them. Did you know that every time the Word of God goes forth, the Spirit of God goes forth in connection with the Word of God? Because, after all, the Spirit of God agrees with the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? See, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, they're in complete agreement, and they have one Word, and that Word goes forth, and they're always in agreement with each other about what's going on and what's being said by them, which is really Him. Those three in one. And so it is the Spirit that speaks. And it, it is the same Spirit that spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets there in First Peter, right? That's, that Spirit was the Spirit of Christ that spoke in all those prophets. That's what the book of First Peter says. It's not a different, you know, it wasn't a different God in the Old Testament, a different one in the New Testament. They had different people at different times, different circumstances, taught them different things, but it's the same Spirit that's teaching. 
he's speaking and he's speaking through his prophets. He's speaking through the word of God as he gives it. And it's very interesting, I say that because it's very interesting that John is imprisoned for what he's getting to do. He's getting ready to do it again. Notice this in this text. This, this really stood out as we, I studied this. It just jumped out of the page in verse 9. It says in verse 9, And I, John, who am, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of, our Jesus, of Jesus Christ. So there's three things that he's that he is, he's our brother, he's our companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of and patience of Jesus Christ. He's waiting for Jesus. But he says this, he was in the, in the isle that is called Patmos. That mean, and you know what I think that means? I, mean, I think it means he got off because he's writing it. He doesn't say that he is there, he said he was there. But anyway, be that as it will. I said that one time and said, no, that don't mean that. But I believe that's the idea of the text. Anyway, for the word of God, here's why. He says, I'm here or I was there, I was sent there because of the Word of God. That's, that's what got me in trouble. That's what gets preachers in trouble, is the Word of God. He said, that's what got me in trouble. I, I, I was faithful to the Word of God, and I was faithful to the testimony of Jesus Christ. I testified to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and kings of kings. I've testified to the fact that He's the only Savior of the world. I testified to the fact, and you read it over there, that He is God's love revealed, First John. He said, I've testified to that fact. You've got a whole book, the Gospel of Good John. You've got First, Second, Third John, and they all testify to Jesus Christ. He said, and that's what got me in trouble. What got me in trouble is writing those books and testifying to Jesus Christ. But he said, I'm not going to give up on that. But you know, he got in trouble by doing that. You know what the Lord does? He just gives him more word. <laughs> that's what the text says. The text says, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, I'll just give you a little side thing here. If you look over in 1 Thessalonians, it says when the Lord comes back, He's going to come back. There's going to be the trump, right? The trump of God. You know who the trump of God is? Jesus. Now, there's a difference between a trumpet, a trumpeter, and a trump. A trumpeter is one who blows the trumpet. A trumpet is what you blow, and the trump is what comes out of it, or it sounds. When Jesus sounds, that's over in 1 Thessalonians, and he hears, he hears this one that it says here, I heard behind me a great voice. That's the sound. As a matter of fact, it's a trump. <laughs> that's the voice he hears. He hears this loud thing that sounds like a trumpet, and who he's hearing is the voice of Jesus Christ who is the sound, the voice, the Word of God. You look that up and see if I'm not telling you the truth. There are three things. A trumpeter, a trumpet, and a trump. And there are three different things. Jesus is the trump of God. He's the voice, the sound, the Word, the noise. All through the Bible. You just go back in the Old Testament. And you go back to the creation. All you got to do is go back to creation. The Spirit of God moved on the voice of the, uh, on the face of the waters, but there's something that was said, wasn't there? And, who, and what does Colossians say? Who brought it all to being? Well, Jesus Christ did. He's, he's the Word of God. Anyway, Jesus Christ today, right now, just like then, He now today, and it is in the present tense, He says, write what thou seest, and, uh, or what thou seest write in the book and send it to those churches. And over and over again, Jesus says, say to them this, say to them this, say to them this, say to them this, and the Spirit saith these things. He hadn't talked, stopped talking either. That's why I can preach to you tonight, because he ain't stopped talking. His word is real and living. And John was imprisoned for the word, but without fear or favor of man, he received and continued to give out the word of God. So Jesus is in the midst of, of his churches to speak to them. Though Jesus could not be seen with the naked eye, and he could not, Jesus could only be seen by divine revelation, and nobody else saw him but this revelator, John. These churches didn't see him. They didn't see him in the blaze of his glory. 
They didn't get the vision like, you know, like on a big screen, like sort of like John may have gotten it, where he, you know, he, John's there, he's in the Spirit, and he, he hears something. And he looks, and, and there it is. I'm talking, you thought, we thought we had it when we got, you know, cell phones and big screens, and John got to see a glimpse into the glory of God in a visible way. He said, and I want you to write what you saw. As a matter of fact, that's what John spends his time doing with the book. He sees this, and then he sees that, and then he sees this, and then he sees that. and He, he sees all kinds of things all throughout the book of the Revelation. But the first thing he sees, and really it is the overriding view of the whole book, Jesus. And Jesus is there now in this text to speak to his churches. Secondly, Jesus is in the midst of his churches to reveal himself to them. Not only is he there and not only is he here today to reveal his word to us, to speak to us, but the purpose of speaking to us is to reveal himself to us. The purpose of Christ giving us his word and the purpose of us preaching his word is not to reveal Troy Shepherd. It's not to reveal the grandeur of Landmark Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, what will happen when he speaks and when he reveals himself, it'll show the flaws of Landmark Baptist Church. It'll show the flaws of every true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only that, but it shines so much, it shows the flaws of every false assembly out there. It, he just shines and shines and shines and exposes every error that there is by his person and by his word. But we're dealing with the churches because <laughs> that's what's in the text. Oh, there'll be time when you can get to false organizations. They'll be later on in the book. But right now, he's dealing with his churches. Because you know what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches us that judgment must begin a certain place. Judgment must begin at the house of God. So the first place that he finds, the first place that he shows up here in the book of Revelation to reveal himself because that's what the, you know what the word revelation means? It means to reveal. It just means to expose himself, to show who he is, to see himself. That's why it's called the revelation. It reveals. And so he reveals himself. There are three things that are instantly brought into view by the voice of Jesus Christ in our text. Now, I said, you say, well, Brother Shepherd, you just said he's there to reveal himself. Well, he is, but he's also going to reveal some other things, but they're always going to be in relationship to himself. Don't lose sight of this as you think about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every work of Jesus Christ reveals some things about himself, and those things that he reveals about himself are reflectory on other people and other things. And we're all brought into view in view of Christ. The sinner is brought in view in view of Christ. The Father is brought in view in view of Christ. The Holy Ghost is brought in view in view of Christ. The Godhead, all three in one, are brought in view of Christ. The lost are brought in view of Christ. And the churches are brought in view of Christ. He is the, if you will, the illuminating force. Our text tells us that He is the one that shines in His strength like the sun. You know, the, the moon out there, it's got a little bit of light. And it can give you a little bit of light at night. But it's not like the sun shining in its strength. When the sun comes shining in its strength, it exposes things. And that's the idea of the text. Christ in the text, Christ here before us, He comes up in His glory. And as He's exalted in His glory, as we are decreased and He is increased, and He shines. He shines. And that's what He's telling the churches here. And so He reveals Himself. But there are three things that are brought into view here. In our text, you see that the churches are brought into view. The pastors of those churches are brought into view. And Jesus himself is brought into view. As you look at this, I want you to see how he brings himself into view in these churches. If we would get a true view, and that's, what I, that's the emphasis tonight for us, if we get a true view, if we would get a true view of us corporately, if you would get a true view of Landmark Baptist Church in a corporate ray as a body of Christ, if the churches in general would get a true view of themselves, we must listen to and see the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what he's saying here before us. He says, John says, I heard, I heard this voice. It was a loud voice, like a trumpet. And it was a great sound. Later on he says, it was like the sound of many waters. And I turned to see it. And, and I saw my focus, first of all, was seen in these churches. Then I saw someone standing in the midst of those churches. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you go through this text, who's the focus? It's Christ. Christ. See, he reveals himself. And if we get a true view of him, and we get a true view of those pastors, and we get a true view of those churches, we're going to get it right here in this text. This is how Christ... This is how Christ... Now listen. Now you go along with somebody and they'll say, well, uh, this is what I think of this church. Well, it really don't matter what you think of that church. So I think Landmark Baptist Church is fill in the blank. Well, what does Christ think of Landmark Baptist Church? And let me tell you, Landmark Baptist Church, I've been preaching to you this week. What Christ thinks of you is the most important. Now, there may be others that might counsel you in one way or another way, but what Christ thinks of you is the most important. Now, I want you to know something. Christ values Landmark Baptist Church. You know how I know that? Because he purchased her with his own blood. There's not every church that Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. There's, a, there's all kinds of things out there. Listen, beloved, there's a special sense. I don't know how this works out, but there is a special sense that Christ has a special particular love for the landmark Baptist church that he purchased with her own blood. I know that to be so. Just like he did the church at Ephesus, which, by the way, he's going to write to right in this book. Same church he talks to over there in the book of Acts that he said that he purchased with his own blood, is in the book of Acts. He said he purchased that church with his own blood. He's going to write to her again. He, he's already told, he already gave her a whole book. He, he writes about her in the book of Acts. He writes a whole book to her, the book of Ephesus. And now he writes to her again. Christ reveals to this church himself, but he reveals to this church herself as well. He rever- he, listen, in this little text, he reveals her nature. How many, how many candlesticks were there? Seven. One over here, one over here, one over here. It wasn't a candelabra, was it? Oh, no, it wasn't a candelabra. It's candlesticks. There's one over here and one over here and one over here. You count seven of them. There were even more of them around there, but the Lord's dealing with these seven. That teaches us the nature of the church. Not only did he teach her her nature, but he also taught her her position. She doesn't have the position of preeminence. Christ is in the midst. He has the place of preeminence. He also teaches her her value. A lot of people don't value the church, but you know what Jesus said this church was? She was golden. She was. The church of Jesus Christ in this text, it has value. Now, its value is because of the buyer and the blood of the buyer and the love the buyer has for her. He's made made something of her, and that's her value. She's called a golden. Now, you look all through the text, because the Bible is a running text, right? From Genesis to Revelation, it's a running text. And you look, just run the word golden up and see what you'll find about gold and golden. Gold in the Scripture has reference to God. It has reference to value. It has reference to purity. That is the idea of the text of the Bible about gold, generally speaking. And he says to this church that she is a, not a brass candlestick. She's not a silver candlestick. She's not a wooden candlestick. She's not a clay candlestick. She's a golden candlestick. Jesus values his church. He loves his church. He says his church has worth. The question is, now let me ask you something. What do you think about Landmark Baptist Church? You members here, what do you think about Landmark Baptist Church? How much do you value it? 
You might say, well, I, I, I have a golden job and a golden car and a golden house and I have gold, we call them golden opportunities. I have a golden opportunity. But how much do you value the church that Jesus built that He paid His blood for? It's a golden church. He also, by Himself, exposes her order and disorder. That's what chapter 2 and chapter 3 are about. He commends some and, and He says, well, so you got this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And, and I'm going to show you something tonight. I believe that He's the answer to all those problems. And it's right here in the Scripture. He tells her her purpose. Her purpose is to be a light bearer. She doesn't generate light. She, a lot of times churches generate heat. <laughs> They're not supposed to. Well, after all, it's there and he's there, but that's not the kind of heat I'm talking about. A lot of times churches generate heat with each other. But that's not their purpose. A church is to be a light bearer because that's what the word candlestick means. The word candle is an old word that just means light. That's all it means. And a stick is a compound word. I know some of the brethren use lampstand, but that's not even in the English language. But candlestick is a word. And that is a light bearer. That's all it means. That's all it means is a light bearer. Okay? And that's what you're supposed to be. Landmark Baptist Church, you're to be the light in this dark place. You live in a dark place. Tombs County is a dark, wicked place. And you're to bear the light of Jesus. You're not to generate your own light. You're to bear the light of you. A lot of times churches, they start bearing their own light. But you know what? You know what happens when churches try to bear their own light? All they are is putting out darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And we're lights through him and in him and only through and in him. We also see here these pastors in these churches. We see their nature as well. They're messengers, because that's what the word angel means. An, an angel in the Scripture is a messenger of the covenant, by the way. That was their duty. All throughout the Scripture, angels were messengers of the Word of God. They were messengers of the revelation of God. They were come with the message of God. That's the duty of the pastor. We don't need our stories. We need... His stories. We don't need our life. We need His life. And they were stars. That's what the text says. You know what a star is? A star is a little light. Little light. Say, oh, Brother Shepherd, don't you know that out there in those vast galaxies, those big old gas balls out there, there are some that outshine the sun? Well, if that be so, and I'm not convinced it is, but if that be so, they're still little in compared to Jesus Christ. And in this text, they're littler than Jesus Christ. Because it says in this text that he saw the seven golden candlesticks and then he saw these little, these little stars of these seven candlesticks. But it says here in verse 16, well, verse 16 says, And he had in his right hand seven stars. That's a big Jesus, isn't it? Seven stars in his right hand. And out of his mouth went, went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance. I want you to see in the verse how it's contrasted. It's contrasted with the countenance of those little stars. You know, some stars... Listen. Some of you science folks in here, listen. Some stars are wandering stars. Do you know that? They observe them in science. They're, they call them wandering stars. They're not fixed. Most of them are fixed in the heavens. Think about that. 
these stars are in the right place. They're fixed. They are. The Lord's preacher's got to be fixed in the Lord's churches. That's what he put them there for. But anyway, I digress. I tell you this much about these stars. They're not big stars. Now, I know how it is of being a preacher. I've been a preacher for, I don't know, almost 30 years now, 25, 30. I don't know exactly how long. I'd have to figure it up. So don't quote me on it. It's somewhere around there. And I know how it is to be a preacher and want to be a big star. But the only big star is Jesus. And he's not a star. He's the sun that shines in his strength. And here we have him in the blaze of his glory. He says, hey church, I'm here. Look at me. Look what I've done for you. And that's what he tells the preachers to do too. He's in the midst of the churches. And he reveals the churches, their nature and the nature of their pastors and their duties and their works. And these truths about our nature and his nature are brought into proper focus through revelation. How did John know? How would these churches know? Well, the only thing that we ever know is by divine revelation that's in truth and righteousness. Now, we can know a lot of stuff that's not in truth and righteousness. I tell folks back home, I say you put everything in suspect if it doesn't come from this book. Anything that anybody says about anything, I don't care if it's in science, and I told you I love science, true science, not science falsely so-called. I love true science because true science is right here in the book. But you put everything, I don't care what it is, you, every conversation you have with any individual, you, everything that everybody said, all of history, you, you know, geography, whatever it is, you put a question mark by it. Always. Under every circumstance, you put a question mark by anything outside the book. Everywhere. You take the book. You can believe what the book says all the time. How do I know that? Because the voice of Jesus Christ, the living word, the living word's in the living word. So mark it down, Landmark Baptist Church. Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you are. He knows why you are. He knows your deficiencies, and you've got deficiencies. He knows what you're doing right. And he knows how to set the record straight. He knows how to set you straight. In our text, Jesus brings himself into view in the blaze of his glory. His preeminence is in the midst of his churches. That's why he says in Ephesians, unto him, who, Jesus? You read it over there in Ephesians. I guess I ought to go there, hadn't I? I'll come right back here. Now, this isn't a verse to glorify the church, though the church has great value and is to be honored and respected above any earthly institution except for the family because they're compared to one another in the marriage relationship. But even that is for the purpose of glorifying Christ in His church his church. Ephesians 3, 21 says, Unto him be glory, that is Jesus Christ, or under, excuse me, under God, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That is the purpose. The main focus of this first vision that John sees is going to be the focus of all the vision to come. Church 
It's written by the Lord to churches to let them know that Christ is always superior. He is the Almighty, as the text says. If you go back in verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, said the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. He is the Almighty in His churches. He is Almighty in redemption. In chapter 4 and 5, He is the Almighty over the nations. He's the Almighty coming King. He is the Almighty. And He says, you keep me in focus. Tell you what, we get all bent out of shape now. Prophetically, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not. I'm looking for Jesus. All right? And I believe this book teaches that. I believe the voice in chapter 1, there's a little door that's open. He says, come up. And the first thing you come up to in that little door, John does. He sees the throne. And Christ on the throne and redemption there. And then you get the hall of heaven. All of heaven opens up in verse, uh, chapter 19, right? And then the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes back. I believe there's prophetic things there, but I'm not preaching on that tonight. I just want you to see this truth. It is a central truth that Landmark Baptist Church needs to know above every single thing else that she knows because all truth flows from the truth. Who's the God of truth? Your Savior who's truth. As a matter of fact, every subject we preach. And we preach a lot of things. I mean, after all, the Lord left this church with some things to preach. And we ought to preach those things and believe those things and embrace those things and stand on those things. But they all have to go back to Jesus Christ. He's the sub-substance and center of them. And I can take any doctrine tonight if God would give me the ability by His grace everything I believe about the Scripture and tell you why it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can't do that, I'll have to stop preaching. (laughs) Christ brings Himself into focus. Thirdly, Jesus in the midst of His churches to warn and encourage them with Himself. Not only is He there to speak to us and to reveal Himself, but He is also there to warn and encourage them with Himself. He's speaking, He's revealing, and the grand purpose is, say, to us, to to warn us, to encourage us, but notice how He does it. If you get into the the text in chapters 2 and 3, and of course I can't preach this tonight, but I want to just glean through this and show you what He's saying here, if you will, with me, as He would warn these churches and encourage them. It's interesting, in chapter 1, He says, I am, that is, He reveals Himself this way. Flame of fire, hair white as wool, feet like brass, shining in His glory. The, he's the, you know, the, uh, the first and the last. He reveals all those different things about Himself, right? You with me now? When you get to chapter 2 and 3, every time He writes to one of the churches, He tells them something about Himself. He reiterates. Now, He doesn't tell them all, all those things that He mentions in chapter 1 to every church because every church doesn't have the same problem. But every one of those churches that have a problem, he's going to identify that problem with himself. The first one is the church at Ephesus, the church that he loved, the church that he bought with his own blood, the church that he was, you know, they had some doctrine that he gave them, and they, 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 that no doubt they believed that doctrine. You read that chapter 2, and you'll find out this was a very doctrinally sound church. And praise God for doctrinally sound churches. His, his, he's not saying your doctrine's wrong. He's saying your love's wrong. Because it seemed like to me they were more in love with their doctrine than they were in the, the Jesus of the doctrine. But anyway, in chapter 2, notice he starts out, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth... Now here it is... He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and who walketh in the midst of his churches. And what he's telling them is this. He says it right in the next verse. I know. I know. You think you know, but I know. Why? Because I got it. I got all your preachers and I'm right there watching and observing you. 
He said, the preacher's on the watch. He is. He's supposed to be on the watch. He's supposed to be on the look. He's supposed to know the state of his flock. He's supposed to know that. But Jesus said, but Jesus said uh, in this text, he said, he's saying, I know it. Whether your preacher knows or not, don't matter. I know. You need to know that I know. I know the good. I know the bad. I know the ugly. I know. I know you. And I got a few things against you. Oh, this is great. It's not. If you don't repent, you know that wonderful golden candlestick? I'm going to just come around and just take it out of its place. See, a church can lose out being a church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, that is an institution, will never go out of existence. I mean, it's all through the eternal ages. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages roll without end. Amen. Amen? But this church can be moved out of the place. But he says, what you need is to know that I know. You young folk in here, you can slip around on your mom and daddy. They might not know. And you can lie to their face and say, no, no, we, we, you know, there's nothing like that, mom and daddy, but the Lord Jesus Christ knows. Pastor might not know. He might not know when you get out your smartphone. I'll tell you what we got at our smartphones and our computers. We got covenant eyes. You know what covenant eyes do? They keep preachers who are tempted and wives who are tempted and children who are tempted pure. That's what it does. It calls, it's called accountability. But did you know what? Before there were covenant eyes, there were covenant eyes. The eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ as a flaming fire. See, he's looking. You can't hide. You can't hide individually. Nobody can hide. The lost can't hide. Saved people outside the Lord's church can't hide. But that's not what we're talking about right here. See, we're talking about churches. They make a profession. They've, they've gone beyond in their profession. Did you know that? That's what baptism's about. We go beyond in our profession. And we're more accountable. The more you know and the more that's been entrusted to you, the more accountable you are. And that's what Jesus is saying. But he's doing it with himself. He does this throughout the book. He does it to the church at Smyrna. He says to them, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive, and these folks were facing death. He told them they were going to die for him. But he says, I got that too. <laughs> I'm alive. Don't you worry about it. They can only destroy the body. They can't destroy your soul. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm alive. You see how he encourages them with himself? Chapter 12, of chapter 2, 12, the church at Pergamos. He says, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. That's the word of God. There were some folks who were of the synagogue of Satan. They were lying. And what he's saying is, the word of God's truth. Don't believe their lies. I got that. Yeah, it, just go, it just keeps on flowing all the way through. I like this one. I'm going to skip around. Let's go over to chapter 3. It says in chapter 3 in verse 1, And to the angel of the church at Sardis write these things, saith he that hath seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He mentions the seven stars again. But you know who he puts first? He puts the seven spirits of God. And do you know why? Because they represent the, the Holy Ghost. Because from man's view, in this next chapter, you're going to find that in chapter 4, I believe it or 5, what you're going to find is how you, know, how you can see the throne of God you've got to get through the seven spirits of God first. You can't see God, know God, feel God without the power of the Spirit of God. He encircles the throne. He's the illuminator of the throne. That's his work. And he says, I got the Spirit of God and I got those preachers. And then he says this to them in verse 3, Remember how thou hast received and heard. How do you receive and hear? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. That's how you hear. That's how you know. And how do you know? Well, you got somebody telling you. You got a messenger. You got a preacher telling you the word. Don't fall for anything else. 
And I like this one. I'm going I'm to get down and I'll be almost finished. 14, this bless my heart. Verse, four, verse 14, chapter 3. And then the angel of the church at Laodicea write these things, saith the amen. You know what the amen is? That's the last word. That's what amen is. It means so be it. It's an agreement with God. And do you know what that means? That just means it's the last word. Whatever God says is it. I'm going to show you. Notice what he says here. The faithful and true witness. Okay? Jesus Christ is the amen, the so be it, the final authority. Jesus Christ is it. His word goes. It is the last. It is the final thing. He himself is the last thing. Nobody said he's the first thing and the last thing. He's the first word and the last word. He's the first word that spoke into beginning. And he'll have the last say. That's what it means. He spoke it all to be, and listen, beloved, what he says goes. He says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That does not mean that he's the first thing that God created, but it means that he's the beginning when God created. The beginning of the creation of God. He has preeminence in creation. Anyway, I know thy works, and that thou art neither cold nor hot, and work that thou were cold, cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Listen, because thou sayest. You see the contrast? I'm the amen, and I'm the true and faithful witness. You witness about yourself. You say all these things about yourself. You say, we have no need of anything. Look at all this grand splendor that we have. I'll tell you folks, this preacher right here would rather pastor. I'd rather pastor a few folks that just love Jesus Christ. I mean, they just love Him, want to serve Him, be diligent to Him, faithful to Him. They want to be broken when God wants to break them and, and they want to be revived when God wants to revive them and they want to hear the Word of God and love the Word of God and live the Word of God and serve the Word of God than to have 5,000, and I'm not against 5,000, but to have 5,000 who just go on about their business. But you know what? Jesus would too. Huh? Here's a church and this is the only church that Jesus is on the outside of. Let that kind of just, as Jesus says, sink down into your ears. Just take a time. Just take about, let me just give you a moment of silence to think about that. This church, who was full of herself. I'll tell you what, when churches are full of themselves and preachers are full of themselves and Christians are full of themselves... Jesus is there. In the text, though, he's talking to churches in particular. Now, he sent this letter to all the churches. Wasn't that a... Wasn't that a I'm telling you what. One church got that, and they said, whoo, you know, the unspiritual people? They said, whoo, he sure tore up Laodicea, didn't he? Oh, look at them. They don't even have him inside. We got him inside. I mean, he might remove our candlestick, but I mean, that's not the big deal. I mean, look at him. He's on the outside. <laughs> I'll tell you what we have to see. We have to see how Christ sees us. See, this, this Christ is the examiner. Christ is the revealer, revealing himself. But his, the purpose in Christ revealing himself, one of the purposes... And it is the focus here at this time in this book is so that the churches may see themselves. See, in our preaching, oh, that God would help us exalt Christ so that people could see themselves. You know, those churches, you know what gold does? It reflects things. It does. Christ is light shining in the church. It reflects the glory of Christ. But he says, Thou sayest, he says, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have needed nothing. 
I don't have anything. Look at look at this. We got a fine building. We got we we can pay our pastor. We got money in the bank. We all gonna have good food tonight. I mean, I got a nice house. I mean, what else do I need? But we always, on all occasions, every time, need Jesus. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. In our preaching, in our singing, in our worship. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus must be the focus. You get to the book of Revelation at the end, and old John got carried away in worship. Poor old John. That old good old Baptist that he was. We get on to the Roman Catholics for bowing down to statues. And old John's down in there bowing down to an angel. The angel says, Stand up, boy! It's not about me. I'm just a messenger. That was just an angel from heaven. An angel that never sinned. Look at, look at all these sinners in here tonight. Oh, my God, we want to be, we want to be, to shine in our strength. Oh, that we would get the Baptist message, that we'd hear it as old John stands there and says, there's a lot of things I don't understand. You know, old John, he didn't understand. Matter of fact, he sent some of his disciples to say, tell me whether you, you, if this is real or not. <laughs> Are you the one, really, I've been preaching about? He, I mean, he had confusion. Even Baptists can have some confusion some by time. Right? But he got this one right. He must increase. I must decrease. You know how? That's how it happens. As he increases, we decrease. And as we decrease, he increases. Jesus Christ in the midst of his churches. Here he empowers them with himself. Here he makes their worship acceptable. And all through this book, he's going to tell you this truth. I am what you need. May God help us just to stay focused. You're here tonight. You're saved by God's grace. I preached the gospel last night. I tried to exalt my Lord with these old clay lips. And I'm looking out here tonight. Let me just look real quick like. Everybody in this building, because I know everybody here tonight. I've seen every face here. I know everybody here has heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I know you have. What will you do with this one I'm talking about? Hmm? You who are lost. He's the Almighty. He's coming back. This, this is just a, this, what, I'm, what message I preach is the message he preached to his church, but he's coming back in the blaze of his glory. He's coming back for his churches. He's coming back for the believer. He's coming back for the lost, too. As the judge of all the earth. You need him tonight. What I preached about last night. You need him. Church, churches, we have churches represented here. The Lord's churches. Matter of fact, we got some of the Lord's angels here tonight. Messengers of the churches. What are you going to do with Jesus tonight? How are you going to handle him and his revelation? Guess what? He's, he's, he's handling you. you. You better be careful how you handle him. He's handling you. Church, you know, like a lampstand, he said, I can just take here. I can take it out of its place. Landmark, listen, Tombs County don't have to have a church of Jesus Christ in it. It don't have to. It needs one, but it don't have to have one. Did you know that there are places all over the world where there isn't one of these? 
None of, no place is worthy of that. But the Lord is pleased by His sovereign mercy and a bountiful grace to put one like mine. You want to put one in Inverness? You want to put one over in Perry? Huh? He put one over in Catna County? Right? The one there? He loves them. He bought them. But he don't have to have them. May God help us to keep Christ in focus, to exalt him in our preaching and in our lives because he knows and he's the answer for every need that you have individually, but tonight we're talking about corporately as a church. May the Lord bless you.